Well, happy Monday. I hope you had a great weekend. This is the Sean Spicer Show. We got a lot to break down for you today. Congress is coming back into town. They're on their way now if they're not already there. And they're going to start a process tonight to keep the government open. And we, yeah, we're back. Back to that all over again. Friday night, if nothing is done, we're going to shut down. But Speaker Johnson, the new speaker, has a two-tiered process that he wants to talk about. Uh, we're going to break that down with Congressman Andy Harris. He's a member of the House Appropriations Committee, a member of the Freedom Caucus. Boom. What a blend of all that. Uh, Jill Stein will be running as a Green Party candidate. That's good news, folks. Tim Scott, bub bye He's out of the presidential race, shocking everyone, including his staff last night. I'll tell you what I know about that. Uh, and then Ari David founded a new site called Upward News. He was tired of the censorship, tired of the legacy media lying. I'm going to break down a great conversation with him about censorship, independent media. A lot to get to. Let's get into it. Happy Monday. I hope you had a great weekend. Um, it was a little chilly here, a little chilly. Uh, winter is upon us. And we are headed into the Thanksgiving season. Now, if you watched me for a while, you know that I have a very strict rule. There are no Christmas decorations. There is no holiday music until after Thanksgiving. Give Thanksgiving the respect it deserves. That's what I'm talking about, folks, right? Are you with me? I don't know. Not everyone is, but I'm just telling you, we got a week to go. Let people soak in Thanksgiving to be thankful for a moment. And then we got plenty of time for the Advent season, for Christmas, for the holidays. I, I love that season, but I also feel like Thanksgiving should get its due. It deserves a little respect. I actually like it because it's fun. Family gets together. There's no presents. There's nothing. It's, it's, I, we don't travel for Thanksgiving. When it comes to us. That's, this is our holiday. Anyway. I'm off my soapbox. I'm going to talk to you a little bit in, uh, about Tim Scott dropping out of the presidential race, why that matters. Jill Stein is running as the presidential, as running for president as a Green Party candidate. Remember her from 2015? Crucial in Donald Trump's win. And I'm telling you, this is good news for us. And then that government shutdown is coming our way Friday night if we don't do something. I'm going to talk to Congressman Andy Harris in just a minute. Andy Harris is a doctor. He's on the Freedom Caucus. And he's on the House Appropriations Committee. There is no better person to talk about where we're headed than Andy Harris. And I want to get to him about what this two-tiered process that Speaker Johnson has going, why it's better, why it's going to work, what reforms are needed, um, the appropriations process in general. And then I'm going to talk about new media, independent media, censorship with Ari David, who's come up with this new site. So let's get into it. I want to kick it off with Congressman Andy Harris. Congressman Harris, good to see you. Good to be with you, Sean. So look, uh, we got a new speaker. He's trying a new thing, which is what they're calling what this laddered or tiered CR, continuing resolution. Can you explain, first of all, what, what that is and, and how the members are responding to it? Yeah, it's very simple, Sean. It's uh, doing things differently than we've done them in the past. Uh, you know, we have bills that we've already passed, some of the appropriations bills. Some of them passed through both the House and the Senate. Like, why would we want to do a continuing resolution for those bills out for months when we could negotiate them within a matter of weeks and get them out of the way? So this, what this does is it ladders the continuing resolution. Those bills that are ready to go now 
It, it uh, sets them an early January date. Uh, th those agencies would expire if we didn't do what we should be doing. And then the other agencies left till a later date because they're not quite ready for prime time yet. Uh, but again, it avoids the end of the year omnibus bill. Uh, last year, if you remember, $1.7 trillion omnibus bill before Christmas, $100 billion in supplemental spending above the caps, above what the committees had passed. These omnibus bills are the way we spend hundreds of billions of dollars we shouldn't. And with Moody's downgrade last week, we have to send a message to the markets that we're actually serious about dealing with the uh, country's deficit. So just so I understand this, it, normally there's 12 appropriations bills. They're supposed to be paired up with the Senate and go one by one. How, how is the system going to work under this current construct? Well, what I expect, Sean, is that, is that they'll probably group a couple of the bills together, but they won't group 12 of them. And that's this is just one step along the path to returning to a normal process, hopefully by next year. Again, we're not going to turn this ship around, you know, in, in uh, very quickly, but we have to take steps toward that. And this is the first step. It's actually dividing up these huge CRs that end up in omnibus bills where we spend hundreds of billions of dollars we shouldn't be spending. It's a first step toward getting us back to a normal appropriations process. And look, the Democrats squealed about it. Uh, both in the House and the Senate, they called this a bizarre plan. They called it a gimmick. Uh, the fact of the matter is, I expect they're going to vote for it this week. I was going to ask you that. So it's interesting that there's no, quote, deep cuts, according to legacy media, meaning it just flatlines the thing. But there's also no aid to either Israel or Ukraine in this, So, which is apparently a, a gimme to Democrats. So do you think that you're going to get a chunk of Democratic votes to, to, to vote for this? I do think so. And I think, again, above their above their complaints, because what they want is they wanted a huge bill, uh, a continuing resolution ending right before Christmas so they can drop another omnibus on our laps with, uh, you know, no time to read it, 4,000 pages long. This breaks that up. Now, does it break it up to where it's it, we hope it ends up a couple of years from now? No, but it starts us down that path, just like the speaker started us down that path with the Israeli funding that was actually paid for. And Washington squealed. They said, oh, my gosh, we never did this. We always don't pay for supplementals. <laughs> well, we should be paying for supplementals. And the speaker's absolutely right. That was the first step. This is the second step. The second step is getting our normal appropriations process back on track. Are you wasting money on testosterone booster products that don't work? I, I don't blame you uh, if you're getting tired of that. But our sponsor here, Nugenics Total T, can give you some hope because they are now willing to give you a complimentary sample when you text 231231 and enter the keyword Spicer. That's easy. You're watching the show. You know what I'm talking about. Just go to 231231Spicer. Um, Nugenics Total Tea has a formula of testophen. It will help you turn back the clock and re-energize your whole life. You'll see increased energy, et cetera. You've got nothing to lose, but a lot to gain. If you don't like it, you just Keep the bottle, do what you want with it. If you want to keep going, you can, but you get that complimentary bottle at 231-231 and then enter the keyword Spicer by doing that. It's the number one doctor-recommended brand of testosterone boosting brand at both GNC and Walmart. But if you go there, you got to pay for it. You can text 231-231-Spicer and get a complimentary sample for free. If you don't like it, they'll refund everything. Um, so again, the cool part about this is right now, if you do this, you actually get a complimentary additional bottle of Nugenics Thermo X, which is their newest and most powerful fat burning incinerating product ever. 
you have nothing to lose. Text 231-231, enter keyword Spicer, check out Eugenics Total Tea. You will not be disappointed. Texting enrolls you in automated text messaging, consent not required to purchase, message and data rates may apply. Number one doctor recommended brand by primary care physicians based on an independent survey conducted by IQVIA 2022. You're a member of the Freedom Caucus. How is this approach going over with members of the Freedom Caucus? Look, I suspect a majority of members of the Freedom Caucus might not vote for it. I think too too many of them think that uh, we're going to achieve something right now, something big right now. That's not the way it works. We have to make an incremental change. This is a huge increment. And uh, again, I suspect that, it, that Democrats will join us on this and we will make a step forward. Again, over the complaints of Democrats who called this a gimmick and bizarre, I think in the end, a lot of them end up voting for it. So it's interesting. I, 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 I know that there's what a handful, Marjorie Taylor Greene and a couple others that have already said no, but that's two or three. I, I just I wonder how many Democrats are going to come on board and why. I mean, that's the thing that I find fascinating. I get that it keeps stuff moving. But then the question, right, wouldn't wouldn't the next logical question be how does the Senate react? Yeah, and I think the indications from the Senate over the weekend are that they're going to look at it, which is 180 degrees different from last week when they said right. this is dead on arrival. Look, the bottom line is it keeps the government open. That's what the Democrats want. Uh, they know that if we send it to them uh, today or tomorrow, the Senate doesn't have time to do to change it in, uh, before a shutdown would occur this weekend. And to them, that's the highest priority. Our priority is get the appropriations process back on track. I think that's why I think there are going to be votes on both sides of the aisle for this. But it moves the Republican agenda forward, and that is break up these omnibus bills, get bills moving one at a time or two at a time, and uh, stop the runaway spending. So that the timing is important, right? So let's call today, Monday, a wash. You got Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's four days. Is there enough time to, to actually get all these trains moving? Well, again, uh, the Rules Committee meets this afternoon, so we could bring this to the floor tomorrow. By tomorrow afternoon or evening, it could pass out of the House. Again, when it goes to the Senate, you know the way the Senate works, Sean. Uh, they don't take things up right away. One or two senators could block this, and I think one or two senators will block any attempts to change this because this is going to move the ball down the field. Does it score a touchdown? No, it doesn't. I wish it could. We have narrow margins, and in the Senate, it's controlled by Democrats. But this definitely moves the ball down the field, and that's really what we have to talk about in Washington. Yeah, so in Washington, they always say there's three parties, Republicans, Democrats, and appropriators. You are on the Appropriations Committee. <laughs> How do a lot of these sort of senior appropriators feel about Mike Johnson's approach to spending? Uh, look, I, I don't pretend to speak for my colleagues on the committee, but I think there, there was some hesitation at first about this laddered uh, CR plan. Uh, but I think in the end, all of them are going to vote for it uh, because I think uh, they realize that the speaker is doing the right thing. He wants to move individual appropriations forward. And I think that's what all the members on the Appropriations Committee want to do. We don't like CRs. We don't like omnibus bills. Uh, so I think in the end, it, it, it uh, moves the Republican agenda, and that aligns with the appropriators at this point. So one of the things that I've asked a lot of members that have come on, right, and, and you're on the actual, I mean, you are a hardcore conservative Freedom Caucus member. There's no one that's going to put their credentials up to you when it comes to being a, a committed conservative, right? But then Year after year, you know, we see spending come out of Washington and we, you know, this, this study on toads, right footedness and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And 
people sort of will say to me as a guy who's been in Washington, like, why, why doesn't this stop? And I, so you're the right guy to ask, why can't there be some concerted effort as we go through the appropriations process to say certain things are just, I, I, I'll use my favorite one, which is like NPR, PBS. Why are we funding something like that? And, and why don't we fight over saying, hey, we've got, you know, free stuff in terms of media and medium. You can download whatever you choose these days in terms of podcasts and, and news information. Why are we funding a left wing media operation and not canceling it? And that's just one example of things that we could be going through the system line by line. Uh, look, we are. And that's what we did in committee. But if it run and we did uh, decrease the funding to both NPR and Corporation Public Broadcasting, look, I think you should eliminate it. That these are creatures of a bygone era where there weren't radio and TV, where there weren't you know a thousand channels you can get uh, on your, you know streaming. Uh, the bottom line is they're antiquated, and and you've got to cut them out. But you've been around Washington long enough, uh, Sean, to know that you don't do it overnight. You do it a little bit at a time, and you have to do it in the individual appropriations bills. If this goes to an omnibus, those things are going to be lost. You have to argue these out in an individual bill. That's what the two-step laddered CR gets us toward. Right. So, But as a Republican, I get Democrats have priorities, and part of this is, hey, we'll you, you got you to gotta play the game a little bit. Are there any Republicans, and I, I don't need you to name names, but do you think that there are Republicans that are part of this problem? Uh, look, there, there are people in Washington on both sides of the aisle who I think want to spend too much money and who are honestly, Sean, I think are whistling past the graveyard on our fiscal situation. Uh, it's pretty dire. Our uh, debt service is going over a trillion dollars early next year, surpassing Social Security, surpassing Medicare, surpassing our defense budget. It will become the largest budget item. And when I took office, it was number five. So uh, we've got to deal with it. There's some people in Washington who don't get it. I think the Speaker Johnson gets it, and I think he wants to put us on that path. I think this, again, this is the second step. First one, no supplementals without paying. Second one, let's get back to a normal appropriations process. Okay, you talked about future reforms, and I think that's a great segue. What do we need to do to get our fiscal house in order after we deal with this year? How do we, how do we get back on track where we're not spending as crazy as we are? Well, I think there's, uh, there's bipartisan support for what we call a debt commission, where we actually put together a Simpson-Bowles-type commission that was done years ago, put it together so at least both parties are talking about the problem, the problem of unrestrained debt and deficit and what our solution is going to be. You know, how, how do we save Medicare? How do we save Social Security? Both of whom, you know, are going to go bankrupt if we don't do something. Uh, the bottom line is we have to deal with this and we have to control all the spending that we can control. And again, that's why this step this week is a big step. It's only the first step because it only deals with what we call discretionary part of the budget, which is the budget we vote on every year. It doesn't deal with those parts of the budget we don't vote on every year, but we have to get to, uh, to dealing with those as well. I don't know about you, but I've started to get a little freaked out about all of these things that are going online with your privacy. And there's something that I didn't fully appreciate, but these internet service providers, they follow and track you and legally, legally can sell your information to advertisers. I didn't realize that. I mean, I, I, I guess I should have asked, but I have an ExpressVPN on my laptop here and you can put ExpressVPN on anything, laptop, uh, phone, whatever, right? And it protects you. It's like locking, pulling down the shade so that no one's looking in. It's like, uh, well, there's a bunch of different 
analogies we could give you. But you don't want people looking in at you and you don't want people following you online to know about where you are, what you're doing, your browsing history, gathering data and selling it off. That's what they're doing. So protect yourself. Um, ExpressVPN gives you that sense of security that you need. But it also does something cooler. And I talked about this as we were leading up to Halloween, which is it gives you access to a lot of cool stuff. For example, Netflix has a catalog in every country, which I didn't realize until I got ExpressVPN. What does that mean? It means that if you're watching Netflix in the US, you can see certain movies. If you're watching in Canada, Australia, whatever, you can watch other movies. And that's true with all of these streaming platforms, Disney Plus, et cetera, right? So when you have ExpressVPN, you can trick it and tell your computer that you're in another country. It gives you security, it gives you options, and so it ultimately saves you a ton of money because you take that Netflix account and magnify it so that you don't have to have maybe a ton of streaming services. You could have one and then just fake the computer into other countries and access the catalog of movies from those countries that may not be available here in the US. If you want to have both security and access all this stuff, go to expressvpn.com slash Spicer. You'll get three months free. So that's a sweet deal. Try it now, get that sense of security, protect your privacy, and also save a ton of money by being able to access uh, the ma- and maximize your streaming service, expressvpn.com Spicer for three months. Do you think that one of the issues that I've talked to some members about is the way that the cycle is set up, right? So you got these 12 appropriations bills, they come due at the end of the fiscal year, which is September 30th, but Congress is in recess for most of August. Do you think we need to really push back those dates so that, that there's more done before the, the summer break or, or move the summer break from August to July maybe. But I think the timing creates the problem to some degree. Well, Sean, the, the bottom line is we set out the timing back in the 1990s with our Budget Act. And it, it says by the summer, by the August recess, we're supposed to have all the bills passed out of both houses. So the bottom line is we got to start earlier. You know, this year, the president was supposed to send his budget to Congress the first week in February. Dog ate his homework. He didn't send it till the first week in March. And traditionally, we don't start our process till we hear from the president so the secretaries can come in and testify. Well, look, that's baloney. Let's go ahead and start to process. President wants to be late to the dance. President's late to the dance. We got to start this in January. If we start this process in January, we can have it done by the August recess. And if we don't, we should stay home. We should stay in Washington for the August recess and get it done. I see. That's the thing. I think that there's no re- yeah if the president wants to be late great go ahead and start without him you guys have invite people to come testify congress is the house is actually given that power by the constitution to originate all spending just start i this is what i don't get why don't we just lead and say put it out there and explain to the american people how much debt we have how many inefficient and ineffective programs there are and make the case put democrats in the tough spot of having to vote for for duplicative spending, for wasteful spending, and 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 highlight these programs, these uh, this these spending issues, and say, great, this is what they're for. This is what we're for. Uh, that's exactly what the new speaker wants to do. He wants to start this process in January. He's already told the committee, look, don't wait for the president. If the president is late on his budget, go ahead with your work. That's exactly what we should have done. We should have done it this year. Obviously, we lost the three or four weeks in the speaker battle. Uh, so next year will be we will be different. And Speaker Johnson, I think, is going to take that third step toward fiscal responsibility, which is to start our process early in the year. I, I want to switch gears for a second. Um, after last week's election, there's a lot of finger pointing as to who's to blame 
for the the loss in in Ohio, the the losses in Virginia and Kentucky, et cetera. You have been a champion of the pro-life cause. Um, Tell me what your thoughts are on how we address the issue of abortion, because clearly it's whatever we're doing isn't working. Yeah, Sean, look, I, I've got to tell you, you know, we talk about some of those states from last week's election, but we don't talk about New York, where we flipped a bunch of seats because of how bad it is in New York and around New York City. So, you know, all politics is local. I think that this uh, this abortion struggle has an expiration date. What do I mean by that? When states pass these protections, and most of them will, no question about it, then people in that state, for them, it's no longer an issue. Uh, we saw that in Maryland, where we flipped seats in this off-year election, local election, we flipped seats to Republican, because in Maryland, people accept that abortion is going to be legal, and it is legal uh, by our laws. So I think that, that we have to go another couple more years while the states sort this out. But after they sort it out, it's sorted out. That's the bottom line. Uh, you know, Again, does it does it hurt the Republican Party to be uh, be the pro-life party politically right now, right in this instant? Yeah, but we had a huge victory in Roe v. Wade, which said this is not a federal policy. And again, it's it sets a tone that uh, gets these decisions made in the states where it should have been made for the past 50 years. But, but as a doctor, somebody who understands the science behind life more than most, don't you think that there's an aspect of explaining to people when life begins in terms of viability and and when a baby can feel a pain? I, I think that's true. And I think once we get over this initial, what I will call the shock of the repeal of Roe v. Wade, I think we're going to have those rational discussions. We're going to have the discussions about, uh, look, uh, human life begins at conception. There's no question about it. Our argument is going to be when do the rights of that, uh, of that baby uh, when, when, when do they exceed or equal the rights of the mother? That's the discussion we're going to have. We have to get over this, uh, you know, every state sorting out what it's going to do. And then we return to those arguments, the ones that we had before Roe v. Wade, which I think we're making progress. I think most people think uh, that when there's a heartbeat, we should consider protection. By 15 weeks, I think the majority of Americans agree that by that time, yeah, you should, the, 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 the rights of that baby out, outweigh or at least equal uh, to the rights of the mother. Yeah, before I go, um, one last thing. I Over the weekend and for the last several days, we've seen these images of people tearing down American flags, supporting Hamas. Does that give you pause as to where we are as a country that, that there are so many people that are on the side of a terrorist organization that's innocently or killing innocent people? Well, Sean, look, the anti-Semitism that's out there is shocking to me. There's no question about it. But, you know, part of it is to blame on two things. One is, is we allow people into this country who support terrorist organizations, which we can't do. And the other one is we've allowed our universities to allow this to happen. Yes. And how we can how we can publicly support because universities depend on federal dollars, how we can support universities that support terrorists. I don't understand. And I think most of the universities are backing off because they realize that's the bad decision to make. Uh, we have to we have to convince uh, those universities that uh, actually uh, teaching anti-Semitism and uh, supporting Hamas and terrorism throughout the world is probably not a very American idea. Yeah, I agree. There's another aspect uh, that you can handle on the Appropriations Committee. I, I'll, I'll throw that one back at you. Congressman Harris, thanks for joining us today. Good luck on the uh, on this funding of the government so that we can keep things going on Friday. Thanks, John. You bet, sir. All right, guys, most of us know what it's like to be without power, sometimes for an hour, maybe a day, a couple days after a 
natural disaster, a hurricane, a windstorm, you know, whatever. But now national security experts are warning that our power grid is more vulnerable than ever. And they've identified nine key substations, which if attacked, they're saying we could lose power for months, months. That's why having your own solar power is more important than ever. So I recommend the Patriot Power Generator, which is a solar generator that you don't have to install in your house. It's portable. You can take it with you. You can use it inside your house. And it's powerful enough that if power goes out, we're talking your phones, your tablets, your computers, medical devices, even your refrigerator gets power. So if you go to fourpatriots.com and use code SPICER, you get 10% off your first purchase. It's four. Patriots.com includes that Patriot power generator. You'll get a uh, that guarantee for a year, free shipping if it's over 97 bucks, and a portion of every sale is donated to charities that support veterans, right? That's great. So go to fourpatriots.com, use code SPICER, fourpatriots.com. You do not want to be without power in case something happens. I really enjoyed that conversation with Andy Harris. Like I said, you you're, you can't hear that conversation anywhere else today. He's telling you as a senior member of the Appropriations Committee, a House Freedom Caucus, how this is going to play out. And I think that's what's crucial. Um, and I think that I, I continue to be impressed with this new speaker, Mike Johnson. He's thinking outside the box. He's on offense. Finally, offense. The Patriots missed yesterday. Sorry. Didn't want to get into that. Anyway, let me move on to our next conversation. There's a new site called Upward News. And its founder, Ari David, was just tired of the media not giving us the full picture. He didn't like what he saw. He felt like some stories weren't getting covered. Some were getting covered in a very biased way. And he wants to change that. He's got a new innovative way of looking at how news should be. And I think he's going, he's on to something. So without further ado, let me bring in the editor and founder of Upward News, Ari David. Ari, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here with us. Thanks so much, Sean. So you founded uh, a site called Upward News. Explain to me what it is and why you founded it. Yeah, well, you know what? During uh, 2020, uh, during the BLM, uh, during the pandemic, it was really hard to find the truth online. And I think millions of Americans like me, we were going on social media, we were scrolling day after day, trying to figure out what is going on here. Uh, and I realized that figuring out what was happening in America was a full-time job. So what I started is Upward News, and the goal is to pretty much in just five minutes get people up to date with what's happening. Uh, we cut through all of the noise. There's no opinions. It's just the facts, so people can make their own opinions and decisions about it. And the goal is just get people informed as fast as possible. So, so when you say that there's no opinion, just facts, I think that's part of the problem right now, right? Is that you've got, you, you mentioned the BLM riots. We, we saw on TV these journalists talking about mostly peaceful protests as buildings were burning behind them. Um, what, how did you, what, how does that happen? I mean, what do you do? Just sort of, is it who, what, where, when, how? Like, how do you decide what stories to write, what stories not to write, and then how to keep them free of opinion? Yeah, well, in terms of the opinion part of it, I mean, we just stick to the facts. So if there's a story happening, we want to get all of the important details. Uh, and most of all, we want to get the details that the mainstream media is either not covering at all or they're hiding in about 2,000 word articles like in the New York Times. And so we pretty much just give you the facts. Uh, we detach ourselves personally from it, just give you all the information you need. In terms of what stories we report, if there's a story that is pretty basic, it's covered everywhere, we don't really touch it. It's the stories that are really underreported, the ones that are specifically being distorted, the hoaxes per se by the media. Those are the ones that we really lean into because we're a really small operation. We've got a small team. 
for us and for our readers, the best thing that we can do is focus on the most important stories rather than trying to cover everything. So, I mean, you seem to be touching on this, but the bottom line is the legacy media has really destroyed a lot of credibility that used to exist because of this bias, right? Absolutely. I mean, at this point, it seems like they're not really doing the job of journalism at all, which is to be essentially a conduit for the information for people. The people end up going to the journalists to find out what's really going on here. And there's a form of trust that that's based off of. Uh, and at this point in time, that trust is really gone. I mean, look at the polls and how every year after year since the pandemic, the trust in these institutions like the media is just dropping to all time lows. Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about this story the other day, the New York Times rushing to get a story about that hospital bombing in Gaza and immediately pointing the finger at Israel. And yet it turns out, well, that's not what happened. And you can't unring the bell. But this idea of trying to be fast first uh, and again, in some cases, maybe just have a bias, doesn't seem to matter to them. They'd rather get something out there than to be right. 100%. And if the New York Times was really focused on the truth, especially in situations like these, they would have a disclaimer on the top of every article that comes out of Hamas or that comes out of Gaza saying that, the journalists that we rely on here can't really objectively report because they're operating uh, in an area with Hamas, a terrorist organization. And so, of course, the facts are going to be distorted. And the fact that the New York Times would jump the gun on a story like that based on that intelligence uh, is really frightening. Uh, pridefully, Upward News, I think it was about an hour after the New York Times reported that story. We were already scouring the Internet, scouring different uh, group chats from the region, trying to figure out what exactly happened. Uh, and it was very clear from the get-go that the story was not as simple as what the New York Times was saying, and that it was actually likely a rocket from Palestinian areas that uh, misfired. And that's essentially what the, the data and information is showing now. So if you can find that out in a matter of hours by scouring the internet and group chats, et cetera, do you think that the New York Times willfully misled people or that they were just lazy about the story? I think about both. Uh, yeah. First of all, they can't tell what's true or what's not from that area, from the journalists that they have on the ground, and they just trust them. And uh, we just found out a couple of days ago that these journalists that are associated with the mainstream media were actually there on the early days, uh, early hours of October 7th with the terrorists. So right. that really just goes to show that they can't really trust anything as objective coming out of there. And in terms of being first, I mean, this is a problem that the media has uh, in almost every kind of situation, uh, from uh, being the first to call a specific states on election day to trying to get uh, a story like this out there, they're really uh, consumed with being like the first outlet that can do it because that gives them some kind of credibility. Well, in this case, it absolutely backfired on them. It, and each of them has their own. I mean, I think I was during the Trump administration, I, I, I've detailed this before, but like the Steele dossier, it didn't make sense. It was debunked out of the gate with a couple of the scenarios that just didn't make sense. And yet they went with it anyway because, well, it made sense. And then you had 51 intelligence agents, uh, former senior intelligence officials talk about Russian disinformation with, with respect to Hunter Biden's laptop. We found out that that wasn't true either. And yet over and over again, these guys continue to pat themselves on the back, win Pulitzer Prizes. There's no, do you think there's, there's appropriate consequences when they don't do it right? Yeah, well, I think the consequences are already happening. I mean, look at the amount of independent news outlets that are starting up. I mean, Upward News, we started for that exact reason. When they can't do their job anymore, I think uh, a 
a growing percent of people that used to read the New York Times and outlets like that are starting to understand that maybe they need to switch to something else. So right now, the consequences is that conservative media is flourishing because they're willing to talk about things that the mainstream media won't. And uh, they're willing to talk about it years earlier. For example, I think the, the Atlantic just recently wrote an article maybe questioning that the pandemic lockdowns were really not that great. And <laughs> I think since day one, right, think- there were certain... Uh, media sources that have been talking about that since the beginning. So there are consequences. And I think something else to look at is, for example, uh, Google, right? And the way that they censor their search results and have been doing so for years. The consequences is that Google is not really a great product anymore. Like if you want to figure out and find things online, uh, you used to go to Google and just trust what's coming out of there. But now the product has been kind of warped because of this censorship and the political bias. And so the consequences there are that people are going to different search engines and they're just not trusting it anymore. What do you use? Uh, DuckDuckGo, Bing, you check out. I pretty much use all of the different uh, search engines that I could possibly use and see what the different results that are coming out of there. And, and so when you do that, is it really that different? Like, so when you go Google versus DuckDuckGo, do you see a, a vast difference in the results that come up? Absolutely. Yeah, there's no question. Well, for example, uh, Breitbart uh, hasn't shown up on Google search results for a couple of years now, right? And so imagine all of the resor- the stories and uh, topics that they're covering, they won't even show up on Google. But that's just, I mean, the thing that's funny is that we talk about, that's just censorship more than anything else, right? I mean, that's what this is, is the idea of big tech and journalists censoring differing opinions. And I, I think p- part of me has always believed that most journalists liked being the only thing that you, the only means by which you got information. And when they hated this proliferation of new media outlets because it meant, a th- it threatened their ability to dictate what you saw, read, and heard. That's exactly right. Well, there's a certain form of power that journalists get from being able to tell people, don't go look into this yourselves, just trust what we're saying. <laughs> and that's exactly, I think they've had headlines recently in uh, Politico and, and different uh, sites like that saying, don't even bother looking into this. Like, we'll just explain it for you. And so, of course, they get a power from that. And when uh, different sites like uh, X or Elon Musk's, you know, the new Twitter, uh, be able to democratize almost in a way this information, of course, it freaks them out because this kind of power that they've relied on uh, for decades now is just slowly kind of disappearing from them. You know, it's funny. uh, We've seen, especially at the local level, a lot of outlets just die. And because they couldn't financially make it. And yet the response from media is that we need to government fund them. We need to, and and my view was this is more of a a supply and demand issue. More people saw bad outlets that they didn't like. They didn't like the stories they were covering or not covering the way that which they were doing them. And so they stopped supporting them. The, The media's response to so much other, so many outlets dying is it's not us, it's you. Right. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely wrong. And uh, the media is notoriously a super hard business to make it work. Uh, right now, one of the reasons that uh, so many conservative websites and outlets are starting to thrive is because people are realizing, you know what, maybe it's worth actually paying something for information that I can trust and from people that I trust and people that I want to continue to be able to do this. Uh, and that really never worked out on the local model. And so there are a lot of investments happening right now uh, from uh, like the left-wing billionaires, those associated with Soros trying to buy out, for example, Hispanic radio stations. And there's a yep. lot of big uh, name outlets that are getting into local media because 
they see as the final frontier of really kind of having a grasp of information is at that local level. Rather than just being the New York Times and covering everything in the nation, they want to get as low to the ground as possible. So uh, it'll be something to watch. Yeah, I think it's great you're bringing this up because I don't think people fully appreciate what's happening right now, that the left, funded largely by someone like Soros, is going in and propping up a lot of these media organizations to look like they are legitimate legacy outlets, when in fact, they're just vehicles for left-wing news. And we need to, how do, how, how do we best, like for, for the average person that's out there, I mean, I, I read something today about Courier News, right? These folks are going out there, propping them up, making it appear as though they're a legitimate news site, when in fact, it's just a purveyor of left-wing talking points. How do we kind of, as the average reader or viewer, know what we're seeing and reading and know what's behind the, the agenda that's behind the site. Yeah, it's uh, it's not easy. And I just want to go back a second to what you said. Back during the midterms, uh, there was a whole entire scandal because hundreds of uh, brand new news outlets were created in all of these uh, different swing states. And uh, essentially, yeah, they were just created for the midterms and they were pushing out whatever agenda they needed to. And for the most part, it was to help uh, the Democrats in those areas. Uh, in terms of figuring out what's true and what's not when you're doing your own research, uh, it's not easy. Uh, but it's always important to kind of get a history and be familiar with the news outlet that you're looking at. So, uh, for example, like if it's the name of something you've never heard, you're just coming across it, you might want to look into it. You want to see what else that they've been covering, maybe check out some other uh, about page or maybe if there's a Wikipedia about them, something to kind of give you an understanding of where this is coming from. Uh, but it's not easy. Today, the, the internet is filled with so much of this misinformation. And so the goal that we're trying to do here is, like I said before, we're trying to uh, build a really strong trust with our readers to do all of this hours-long research every day so that they don't really have to go to these websites and figure it out. Uh, but we link everything to them so that they can if they want to go out there and look for themselves. And I know, obviously, Upward News, you hope that it flourishes. But do you think we're going to see more sites like yours, more competition in this space? I think right now, yes. I think in the short term, there's going to be more sites that uh, open up. And really, I think we kind of hit this golden era of smaller independent outlets that happened around the BLM time, around the pandemic time, with all of the wokeness going on. Because like we said earlier, these big outlets weren't doing a good job of covering it. And so it created an opportunity for the smaller outlets. Um, yeah. How long it will be until the mainstream outlets kind of catch up and start reporting on the same things as these independent outlets? Um, it's unclear, but if we think that'll happen at some point, maybe there'll be some kind of uh, merging happening again and bundling and we'll go back to the larger ones. Uh, but for now, I think really the vast solution, especially as we approach 2024, which will definitely include a lot of censorship, uh, these independent small news outlets uh, by people passionate just about the truth, they're going to be the ones that flourish and people flock to. Before we go, let me just ask, like, what, what do you read? What, what, what do you stay informed by? I read everything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> dozens and dozens of uh, different sites like every day. And it goes from everything from very right-wing sites to very liberal sites. Uh, the New York Times, uh, Daily Wire, Breitbart, all of those. I'm essentially looking through them, figuring out what is this uh, side talking about that this side isn't. Uh, going through them, figuring out what the primary sources are, and really just trying to get to the bottom of it. Because that's really the only way these days that you can figure out what's going on is by knowing what uh, what biases do these people have? Why are they not talking about these other things? So 
uh, it keeps me busy. It keeps our team busy. And hopefully with what we're doing, we're keeping our readers a little less busy. Right. All right, David, founder of Upward News. Thanks for being with us today. I really appreciate the insight that you shared. Thanks so much, Sean. All right. I hope you enjoyed both of those conversations. What a nice way to kick off a week. Let me get into the political news because there's a lot to break down. So as we ended last week, Joe Manchin, the West Virginia senator, dropped out. He said he's not, he didn't drop out. So he, he said he's not running for re-election. This is a guarantee pickup for the Republicans. Right now, there are two members, two big players, the fir- current governor, Jim Justice, uh, and Alex Mooney, a congressman from there. Regardless of who wins the primary, this is a pickup for Republicans. Boom, there's one. Now you've got Montana, where John Tester is, and Ohio, very red states that Trump carried massively. Um, Sherrod Brown in Ohio, John Tester, as I said, in Montana. All Republicans need to do is pick up one of those back in the majority. And that leaves out Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Nevada, and Arizona, uh, which are all potential pickups. Carrie Lake running in Arizona, as you know, but then Kirsten Sinema, the current senator, is now an independent. The way that this is shaking out, this could be a huge uh, opportunity for Carrie Lake to pick up that seat in Arizona. And as I said, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Nevada, all still in play. So big, big news for Republicans in terms of the Senate. And that's important if President Trump or any Republican wins back the White House because that's going to help get their nominees through. So this is crucial. Um, on the presidential front, two things that I want to touch on. Tim Scott dropped out of the race. Here's the thing. He was on Fox News last night with Trey Gowdy, the former South Carolina senator, excuse me, congressman. His staff didn't even know that he was about to drop out. He says, people in Iowa were telling him, not right now, Tim. He's not saying that they don't, he doesn't want to run again potentially, but they, he realized that this wasn't his time. Now, do I think this is going to shake things up? Not really, because he wasn't getting that much. And I think that's why he dropped out, right? I've said this all along. At some point, if you don't have support, if you're not showing in the polls, he barely made that debate stage. He wasn't going to make the next one, and he knew it. So he dropped out because I think, frankly, he didn't want to get embarrassed in his own home state of South Carolina. Anyway, I don't see much shaking out from this because he didn't get that much, but it'll keep that debate stage getting smaller. My guess is that you're only going to see three candidates on stage in that next debate, December 6th, that News Nation is hosting. You're going to see DeSantis, Haley, and Ramaswamy. Um, also, as I said, uh, Jill Stein running on that Green Party line. This is big news for us, folks. Jill Stein is the one that ran in 2016 and helped tilt some of the swing states. Michigan is the one that you guys hear me talk about all the time. This is big for Trump. If she can pull 10,000, 20,000 votes out of a state like Michigan or Wisconsin or whatever, and remember, the Green Party has ballot access almost everywhere. This is a big deal. Lastly, the government shutdown. You heard Andy Harris talk about this. I don't know that this system's going to work. We'll see how many Dems vote for it because you know that you're going to get a handful, if not more, Republicans. At some point, these Republicans, though, need to realize that, as Andy Harris said, we're making incremental incremental change. Let's not shoot ourselves in the foot. I, I get it. I want more. I want government to cut more. I want us to be more efficient. But when you're moving in the right direction, you've got to show voters that you've got a plan to move forward and that you're making progress. The plan that Johnson put forward is that. We're making progress. We're cutting government. We're not increasing for the Pelosi stuff. So take a win. 
Anyway, I mean, that's that's what I think is going to be a big deal. Watch how many Dems vote for this and watch how many Republicans vote against this. Uh, real quick before I go, there's brand new polling out from the Stack Data Group. I'll try to break that down tomorrow. Really starting to show that this idea that Donald Trump can't win is a stupid, dead argument. We keep seeing it over and over again that Trump can win and he can win big. We're talking, you know, roughly 300 electoral votes. So that argument is out the window. Biden is getting serious, serious headwinds coming at him. He's having problems with young voters, black voters, et cetera. We'll break all that down this week. Thanks for joining us. Remember to subscribe. If you want to be part of my VIP community, go to seanspicershow.com slash VIP. Uh, we have weekly chats. Love to have you in there. Drop a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. Please subscribe and share on Rumble and on YouTube. And as always, if you have a text for me, 571-441-4991. Thanks for kicking off your week with us. We'll see you right back here tomorrow on The Sean Spicer Show.